Yo, yo, what up? It's your boy, Kobe Mack, and this is the Kobe Told Me Podcast. It's my whenever I want to, and boy, did I mean it. Deep dive with the Mack himself, where I get to amplify my movie reviews for your listening pleasure, and it's brought to you by the 4th District Podcast Network. Would you please consider giving your boy a follow? I'm on all the socials, at Kobe Told Me on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm on Facebook at Kobe Mac. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. This is episode 35, the inaugural 2020 mini movie edition. There's gonna be a bunch of those throughout this year because you know what happens when your boy falls behind? He makes it up in the best way he can, leaving y'all with a dope podcast to step to. But before we really get going, yo, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy King's Day, Happy Festivus, Happy everything to you guys. I'm sorry I missed y'all over this holiday break, but I am back in a space to be way more consistent, to put out more content for you guys. Now, even though it was a break, and even though KTM went ghost for like a couple weeks there, you still had me really active on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I was doing the damn thing over at the Minority Support Film Podcast. I was guesting a little bit from here to there. It's a busy season. It's, I just finished wrapping up my first year as a film critic, like really doing the film critic thing, right? And it's been great. It's been rewarding. Um, One, I'm super duper gracious for, imagine where I was in Thanksgiving of 2018. So a little over a year ago. I had 27 followers on Twitter. And when I got into this, I really didn't have like any lofty goals. I just wanted to see, yo, was my voice, was my content, was it dope enough to get people to really care to even listen? And yo, I'm, I'm proud of myself. I'm really thankful for the engagement, for the followers, for the friends that I made. Um, just like in Twitter, to be honest with you, that's where I'm most active at. I'm over 2,000 followers. and. Yo, I think I did it the right way, y'all. And I feel really good. I'm, I'm proud of myself because I think I set like a little goal of like 500 within a year because I just genuinely didn't have a gauge for where I would be. And I did not think <laughs> that I'd be at over 2,000 followers. And like I said, I, I think I did it the right way. Someone asked me, yo, Kobe, you know, I want to get more followers. What do I need to do? I said, yo, be consistent, be engaging, and be yourself. And... If you're none of those things, you're never gonna feel great for the numbers that you got. And this really isn't a numbers game. This is a joy game. Like I enjoy talking to y'all. I mean, if there wasn't you guys, I'd just be talking to myself and I'd be absolutely content with that. But just to think that there's over 2000 folks out there that, hey, if anybody listens, I love y'all like to the fullest. And for anyone that's coming on board for the first time, here you go, this is me. I've got a renewed spirit. I'm gonna go harder for you in 2020. I got some New Year's resolutions that I plan on posting, plan on keeping. It's gonna be really, really good. But it's great because the first week is already out the way. Our first epic week is in the books. Now the 2019 movie count, it finally closed at 144 movies at the theater. Yo, clap it up for your boy. I'm pretty sure and I believe that, like I want some stats. AMC, I'm gonna need you to help me out. I, I gotta, I gotta at least be like the top five percentile of the country. Like, I saw 
144 movies in the theater. That's not including special engagements, you know, re-releases or, you know, repeat viewings. 144, 2019 new releases. And I'm definitely going to get to 150 this year. I'm hoping to do a lot more than that if I could take in a film festival for two. So far, the 2020 movie count currently stands at three. I finally got a chance to watch 1917. So I feel comfortable closing out my 2019, now watching 1917. But that's that's going to be a 2020 movie for me, for me, you know? So that's not counted with Inside the 144. Um, next week, I've got a gang of content that's coming out. My 2019, you know, movie ranks. I'm kind of unsure if I should do a top 10, top 15, top 25, top 100. Y'all let me know. Get at your boy. Um, I've got some coverage to be able to go over the Golden Globes winners. Reactions to the Oscar picks that are coming up this upcoming Monday. This is a busy time. Yo, I really underestimated the power and weight of awards season. But with this being my first year in the game doing it, I'm learning a lot. It's disheartening in a lot of ways, kind of seeing things from a different lens, but it's also super encouraging and rewarding as well. So, yo, I'm gonna do my best to play catch up, to learn, to grow, and just take it in to have fun. I mean, yo, what's a better hobby than being able to watch movies? And yo, I did a lot of them. Everything that's inside the top 10 of the box office that I'm about to get into, I've seen it all. And you guys are very special. You are getting seven movie reviews for the price of one listening download. Look at y'all, what better deal could you have on a Saturday morning? So I hope you enjoyed, but before I get started, yo, shout outs to the hashtag film Twitter, fantasy football league winners. I ran two leagues and I've said, you know what? I would love to marry my love of film and my love of football. And I commissioned, excuse me, I was the commissioner of two fantasy football leagues. I had a 10 team uh, standard league in ESPN and I had a 12 team standard league over inside of Yahoo, different rules, different people, but some really dope, engaging folks. And yo, I, gotta, I, I, I didn't win either league. <laughs> I didn't win either league, but yo, I feel really proud because like one, one league more than another, but yo, your boy made it to the finals in both leagues, which I think I did good. Like if I'm gonna put this out there and say, yo, I'm gonna be the commissioner of fantasy football league, you know, they would really hope that I would like come with it. And yo, I did, I made it to the finals in both leagues. I lost in the finals in both leagues, but yo, first and foremost, shout out to my boy Dan from the Netflix and Swill podcast. Yo, um, AKA Netflix and Steel, that was his team name. He did the damn thing. Now, the game was a little bit closer in that one, right? It really, really was. In the other ESPN league, yo, I got my ass whopped. <laughs> one, I shouldn't even been there. Like. I, it's so funny, Yahoo, Yahoo does really great in like giving you the stats of your fantasy football, like, you know, where you've been and stuff like that. I drafted exceptionally well. Yo, me, Jay Ledbetter, like we, we drafted really, really good. And then it just went downhill. And like by the skin of my teeth, I made the playoffs and I won every week. Like there was one week in the semifinal where I beat my boy Rico from the Always the Critic podcast. I beat him by point two points. <laughs> Point two points to make it to the finals and yo it was crazy but i'm really appreciative it was so much fun really great job dan dan is the hashtag film twitter fantasy football league champ for yahoo my boy moose that's what i call him his name is low aka deshaun of the dead aka you can follow him at marcellus durden on twitter he whopped my ass <laughs> 
in the ESPN league. Yo, he did his thing. He was pretty much like in first place for most of the year. Um, I definitely had a better regular season in my ESPN league than I did in Yahoo. And it was great, you know, so shout outs to everybody who was inside of both leagues. I really hope that you guys um, enjoyed it. I was not as active <laughs> as I thought I was going to be able to be um, and given a podcast. I did, I did do one podcast. I did one podcast for both leagues. And, you know, you guys are great. It's a lot of fun. I hope y'all learned some stuff. Um, I, I hope you guys will come back and we can try this again next year. And if I got a commission 15 of them leagues uh, for Phil and Twitter, then I definitely look forward to it. But, yo, you guys were great. But now... We need to go ahead and get this thing going because I got a lot to talk about. This is going to be a different type of box office because you're getting a review for everything that I have not got a chance to catch you guys up on. Starting off in the number one spot in the box office, it is still Star Wars from this past week. I mean, for the past two, three weeks, Star Wars has been doing its thing. It's made almost a billion dollars, which, yo, kind of surprisingly, I'm surprised it hasn't made a billion dollars just yet. Um, it really shows that I don't know if it's the last over effects from The Last Jedi, but obviously the Star Wars didn't do what everybody wanted to do. I mean, everybody, mainly Disney, Lucasfilm and stuff like that. Um, I mean, it made $34.5 million this week. It costs damn near $300 million to make. You double that in regards to, you know, you marketing the P&A and stuff like that. It's made $927.5 million um, as of uh, this past Tuesday, which is a good number, but... When you think of the, the sequel trilogy, right? The Force Awakens, the first the Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker, it's been diminishing returns. Um, it, I mean, it didn't it didn't crack two hundred million dollars in the opening box office, which was a bit of a letdown. I mean, you'd want the last film inside of this now called the Skywalker saga to really like to really go out on a high note. But I mean, it it is the epic conclusion. To the Skywalker saga and it does go out in an epically familiar fashion like it's nowhere the perfect ending that we want it to be but I think if you really look at it it's as good of a closing that it was gonna get and it's safe it is very safe and safe isn't always bad I just think safe is safe I mean the good thing is that inside of the trilogy the one thing that you wanted to make sure that we got, we got, like we got the Ray and the Kylo dynamic and it is the best part of this sequel franchise and it, it really does hold everything together. The thing is, is that if you were to take away that relationship, there's not much else to really hold this trilogy up. Like it, ultimately it ends up feeling a bit inconsequential, right? Now, I do not believe that George Lucas, George Lucas had this overarching plans for this epic nine film saga to chart the story of Luke Skywalker. And, and obviously we know that things have changed. I mean, from the OG trilogy of four, five, and six, and things deviated, like, yo, if y'all didn't know, Luke and Leia were not always meant to be brother and sister. If they were, there wouldn't have been something that happened inside of one of the films that ended up happening and stuff like that, right? Um, Darth Vader was not always meant to be Luke's father. And we get that things can kind of change organically to fit the narrative better. But when you think of like, what was the goal of the sequel trilogy, right? For Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and Rise of Skywalker, it's clear that there was not a fully charted out roadmap of where we wanted the story to go or to even set up other possibilities in a satisfying way. Now, I loved The Force Awakens. I thought it was like, it was pretty much doing the OG trilogy 
as a remix. And I think that that was important to be able to keep your existing audiences, bring in new audiences, and even like kind of bring back in audiences that may have kind of like moved away after the performances of the prequel trilogy. Now, me personally, y'all love the prequels because that was my entry point into Star Wars. Like, I didn't get a chance to watch four, five, and six before I watched one, two, and three. So my affinity and love for those are pretty high. And this film, it's weird. Like, I think I was riding the wave of nostalgia when I got out of it, and I originally rated the film a seven. And on the Kobe Tommy scale, a seven is a good movie. But the more that I look back, this is not a good movie. It's also not a bad movie. And I mean, it's it's got cool stuff, right? Like you have there's you know there's this fight between uh, Ray and Kylo that reminds me a lot of like what Anakin and Obi Wan did in Revenge of the Sith. And you know the film overall, it looks and sounds gorgeous, and the conflict is good, but it feels redundant. It feels like we've been there before, and I think it's because the story. It's fine, it's just, it doesn't do anything special, right? And this film definitely was fighting an uphill battle from the way that fans, you know, didn't like The Last Jedi, and I was one of them. But I will say, after watching The Last Jedi multiple times, you know, I've come around on it a lot, and it is a really good film that had, it took a really bold choice, and I don't know why Lucasfilm let the film go that way, which is really interesting. Um, but I mean, hey, you know, we'll gotta see if there's any more stories to tell. I mean, there's definitely more stories to tell, you know, in this galaxy that's far and vast. A lot of folks are really in love with The Mandalorian. I would love to see if they could take the great things about that show that can make its way into the film universe. I mean, you've got some really great actors and I'm, I'm really happy for what they've done. It's just, it's a screenplay issue. It really is with the Rise of Skywalker. You know, the Kobe Toby rating for Star Wars Rise of Skywalker is a five out of ten. In the number two spot, you got Jumanji in the next level, still sticking around, making a lot of money. The holidays really do help out films. And Jumanji in the next level, wow, that was the last review that you guys heard from the boy. It wasn't it wasn't great. It was kind of fine. It was okay, but it made some money, $26.2 million in total. It's made $612 million. In the number three spot, you got a new entry into the top 10 with Little Women. Little Women took that holiday money and really did some things with it. Um, and despite those out there that didn't want to watch the film, and yo, I kind of was, I don't want to say I was kind of one of them, right? Like, Little Women brought in $13.6 million. It had a budget of $40 million. It's made $81.8 million um, um, as, of, as of this past Tuesday. I think it's a little bit more than that now. That's good numbers, right? Like, it's making money. I, me personally, I thought it could make a little bit more money just based on who all was involved, you know, with the project. But like, I think folks like me, I I never watched any of the original release films because I, this story just never felt like it was for me. And I get that, like, I understand it. I tried to argue that point on the Minority Support Film Podcast with Dez, and I, I think I was a bit misunderstood, right? Like, films are made and designed for target audiences. And this is a film that was based on a book that was released over 100 years ago. And the target audience was not for me back then. And I'm not saying that Greta Gerwig made this film to not be appetizing to someone like me, but like, yo, I'm a 33-year-old black man and there was not things inside the trailer that was selling me on like, yo, I'm gonna go watch this movie. But 
my palette is very different than everyone else's and I watched it and I loved it I thought the film was the film is like very delicate storytelling and it was really refreshing to be able to have that especially like like close like that was my last film of uh, 2019 and you know it did it kind of transformed it, it transported me back to a time when I was younger where there was more innocent hope filled stories that like I grew up on like there's not very many films that are p like that are rated pg that anybody can watch especially that come out in the movie theater and like disney used to be really good for that like swiss family robinson right like this film reminds me of like a throwback like that and even though the film is about four little women principally it's about joe marsh played by saoirse ronan it's more than that like i think the themes that are that are inside this film are universal even though i don't think that this film is for everybody right um and I do really enjoy that there's four women that are very unique. They all have this idea of themselves and what they're striving for. And I think that Greta Gerwig does a great, does something really unique in the sense that this is a film that's set in a different time period, but it feels very contemporary. It feels contemporary with the actors' performances. It feels contemporary with the dialogue and the music is really, really good, right? Like it really, really is and it all works together and it's cool. I mean, the story is about love and family and tragedy and dreams and it's wonderfully performed. Saoirse Ronan does a really good job. Yo, my MVP is Florence Pugh. She wowed me. Like Florence Pugh, one, I thought that she delivered one of the best lead performances this year in Ari Aster's Midsummer, but what she does in the supporting role of Little Women was just great. Like it's really, really good. There's some unique choices with the, the story that didn't necessarily work for me. But this is a really great film. It's incredibly written. Yo, Greta Gerwig is gonna be here for a while. I think she's got something. And the film is whimsical. Um, I think that it's tender. It's a really well-adapted screenplay. It's refreshing and it's 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 released in a timely manner too. Like there's little girls, like my daughter, she needs to watch a story like this. Now she's seven years old. I don't think she'll be able to like really, really take it all in, but she needs to watch a story like this. And I think that your kids and your family needs to watch a story like this. The Kobe Tommy rating, for Little Women, I was originally at a nine, but when I stepped back and I looked at some things that had some issues with it, I'm gonna drop it down to an eight. So an eight is still a great film. It's an eight out of 10 from your boy. In the number four spot, you got Frozen 2, still making some money at $11.8 million. The Grudge, that was the new entry from 2020. Uh, it made $11.4 million. And this is not Blumhouse, okay? It's a $10 million budget. The film already makes back its budget in the first week. It's going to make money, right? It really, really is. It's a January release. So what do you expect from a horror movie release in January? It's gonna be bad. And that's exactly what it was, except this was real bad. Now, I don't remember too much from the original remake. So The Grudge was like a series of films from Japan, I believe. And then they had an American remake with Sarah Michelle Gellar. And like, there's an iconic image that we all remember of like the hand coming from like the back of the head when she's inside the shower. And I think that The Grudge, especially like I was a teenager when I watched that film, like it was kind of scary at that time, right? It just was. And then they had a couple of um, sequels after that and whatever. So now we're in 2020, you know, like 15 years after the first one came out and the trailer was, <laughs> the trailer was not selling me on it. And the actors, I don't know outside of John Cho. And John Cho, he's, he's on the poster. You got Betty Gilpin inside of this movie as well. Um, I'm unfamiliar with the production company. I think it was the same production company that did the original. Um, it's just not good, y'all. Like it's really, 
really not good. It is not a good horror film. The jump scares you see coming a mile away. It doesn't try to subvert your expectations at all. It doesn't do anything special. Um, and there's not a lot of tension, which is weird. The music I thought had some really odd choices and there's no characters that you really connect to. Like you have Lynn Shea in there and she's a staple inside the horror genre, but like films need movie stars, folks. And if they don't have movie stars, you need a great script. And this is a poor screenplay. Like it just really, really is. You got William Sadler in here who's trying to do something good, but his character is just garbage. And like everything that these characters are asked to do are just not good. This is a not good movie. Like it's shot competently. And this film is trying to be something that I don't think it deserves to be. I'm not familiar with the director, to be honest with you at all. Like there's a final shot in this film where like it should work. It should be like, oh, that, that's interesting. But like, I don't think it deserves to be in this film. And I don't think that anybody deserves to watch this, let alone the $11.4 million that people contributed to it. Um, this film is done. So do not watch it. Kobe told me to not watch this movie no more. That gets a two out of 10 on the Kobe told me scale. 2020 is already af it's already off to a bad start. Like it really, really is. In the number five spot was the grudge with that. In the number six spot, you got Spies in the Skies. That brought in $10.3 million. Why aren't more people watching this movie? It is really, really good. Like, it's made $10.3 million. So far as a Tuesday, it made 91 million. This movie needed to do that opening weekend. Like, it's a, it was a weird year for animated films. And I don't get how this came out on Christmas. Everybody's out of work. It's got Will Smith, who has such a resurgence this past couple years. Like he was in Aladdin, he was Genie, right? He had, I just realized that you had a lot of films come out recently. Like he was in Aladdin, he did Gemini Man, and then he was inside of this film. And it's a good movie. I, I wonder if it was if it was backed by Universal or Warner Brothers. If it was a, I mean, it's it's Blue Sky, which I think Blue Sky was a subsidiary of Fox, which now is owned by Disney. I, I don't know. I don't understand why more folks haven't watched this film because if this was a Pixar or Disney film this shit would be huge like it is so good Will Smith and Tom Holland and you've got uh, you got so many people inside this film like there is nothing like animation especially when you got Big Willie style animation and he doesn't do a lot of it uh, I think he was inside of damn what was it Shark's Tale right and this film not only lived up to my expectations, but it exceeded them. I was really excited with them. I took the whole fam out, the Mrs. Mac and the Mini Mac, and we had ourselves a really good, I wish I could have watched this in Dolby. Oh, I would have loved to watch this in Dolby. This was just so much fun. Like Will Smith and Tom Holland's chemistry, it really is fantastic. The entire buddy comedy that was mixed with the cool action is great. There's even a great villain. Like there's a very cool bad guy inside this movie. And it's really, really good. And it's got cool visuals. There's loads of heart in it too, which I wasn't expecting. Like there's a really strong theme to this that I really did enjoy. And it's just fun. And like, it's it's like a mix of James Bond meets The Incredibles. Like if you think of what you got from the first Incredibles, that's what you're getting inside Spies in the Skies. And I really hope that more people go out and watch this film because like it is, it is great. It's it's an easy setup for an entire franchise of films to keep coming out because like it is a lot of fun. I promise you, I dare somebody to go watch Spies in the Skies and be like, yo, Kobe told me to watch it and Kobe was wrong. I dare you. Get at me if you thought that you didn't enjoy Spies in the Skies.
But if he did, yo, the Kobe Tony rated for Skies in the Stars is a nine out of 10. It's an excellent film. In the seventh spot, you had Knives Out with $8.9 million. You got Uncut Gems at number eight, bringing in $7.5 million. It's made over $37 million so far as, as of this past Tuesday. I'm unsure of what the budget was, but damn, was this movie unique. Um, I love the trailer. Um, the trailer was really, really dope. I'm a big Adam Sandler fan. I've been a fan of him forever. <laughs> and um, it's cool because it's a drama that's based in New York and it's set around sports. That's a cheat code for your boy, okay? Like, and it's, I, I love characters that are complex, that are just really not good people, and that those are our central protagonists. And like, I don't know how you direct chaos on screen, but if you want to learn, look at what the Safdies brothers do. Like, this is, this is really nuts. Um, It's, it's like this, it's this dynamic pressure cooker, and it, it doesn't stop moving. The move, the film is very kinetic. Um, it never stops building. It, it, it never lets up. It's going to shock you a lot in a lot of different ways. And Adam Sandler becomes Howard Ratner, this kind of magnetic, jerky New York jeweler who's like, he's, he's got a gambling problem. He's, his life is really spiraling out of control. And Adam Sandler does a really good job. This is his best work to date. And I've seen him do some of the more dramatic stuff, Rain on Me and Punch Drunk Love and, you know, uh, fun, you know funny people. This is his best. This, this is like... This is this is really really good, and this is the most New York film of 2019. Like it is, it is gritty, it's vibrant, it's melodic, it's 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 authentic. And I think that some folks got turned off by like how loud this film is and how it it, it, it kind of paints New York in a way that if you're not a New Yorker, you won't think that that's how New York is. But this is like this is very much New York energy. Like this is how it is, and the characters help kind of bring it out and paint this world that's full of complex family drama and complex characters that we don't typically see on film. And it, like, it's it's got like this, the, the family drama that's mixed with like risky business, and, you know, propositions and like gambling. And it's it, it, like the whole sports angle to it is like super cool. And it is, yo, Julia Fox. Ooh, yo, Idina Mazel did her damn job in this movie. Julia Fox, this no name actress that She'll be a name now. Um, she definitely, she gives a very memorable supporting performance. I'll tell you that. And when y'all get a chance to go watch Uncut Gems, I just want you to send a weeping emoji and you'll know why. Uh, but yo, Uncut Gems is a very strong nine out of 10 for your boy on the Kobe Tony rating scale. Yo, in the number nine spot, you got Bombshell that brought in $4 million. And it's crazy how that film is not getting seen. Now, I granted, like how I was talking about audiences before, this film was written for everyone, but I understand why a lot of folks aren't gonna watch it, which is unfortunate because the subject matter really is strong. Because it's fiction, it's hard for some folks to kind of fully accept it, right? I wonder if this was like more straightforward in regards to being like, you know, nonfiction and like kind of based off some truths. Then I mean it's it is, it's based off a of truth. Like this is a story about Roger Ailes, this very old, fat, evil man at uh, at Fox News and the way that he was preying upon women um, and fostered this culture of misogyny and sexism, you know, at Fox News, right? And it's, you know, it's got Charlie Theron, it's got Marco Robbie and Nicole Kidman, like, like those are three of the biggest names in Hollywood. And then you got John Lithgow playing this character and there's so many people working in this film, right? 
And it's definitely, it's it's a left-leaning film. And I think that politics, it's tough. It, it really is a gamble. This is this is the type of film that's in, in the vein of a big short or, um, or Vice that came out last year where you know where the film is going. So there's already gonna be a segment of people that have no desire to watch this film. Um, one, they already reject truths. So it's gonna be tough for them to be able to swallow this when there's a mix of fiction or nonfiction inside of here. Like Rago Marby, excuse me, Margot Robbie plays a character called Kayla and she's a fully fictionalized character who in my opinion is meant to represent, you know, the every woman inside of Fox News. Um, the biggest takeaway of this film is the way that Charlize Theron and like the great makeup that's done inside this movie, she transforms into Megyn Kelly. Like legitimately disappears, like her, her, her voice, the accent she gets down. And like, it's really uncanny, like how much like, yo, I cannot see. Charlie's there. I think it's some of the best makeup job that like I've ever seen, but definitely seen this year. So um, that looks really strong. But the, the film is good. Like it's got warts to it, but I thought like it, it just won me over because I really think that there's some fantastic performances there. I think um, that Joe Roach does a really good job in the direction. Like it's it's a tale of power and how it corrupts and you know the culture that was fostered over there. And it sucks because for many of these women, they can't escape it, right? Um, it's I mean the camera work is really cool. It's a very stylized vision and it helps kind of build a world that paints the picture of like what hashtag me too is but it also is entertaining as much as it is gripping it's a beautiful drama i thought it's surprisingly fair and balanced which was the original title of the film but unfortunately not everybody's watching it so i hope more stories like that can come out maybe they have to be refined a bit more but it definitely deserves more than the 4.6 million that it made over the weekend the kobe told me rating for that film is eight out of ten rounding out the top ten you got in the number 10 spot, Cats. Um, Cats made $2.6 million. Um, it cost $95 million to make. Somehow it's made $54.5 million. Now, that may not sound too bad. Like, oh, okay, it's made half its budget back, right? You got a little bit more legs to go. This isn't how films chart. Typically to make money, you got to make more than double your budget. So if you're at $95 million, you need to make about $180 million, $190 million uh, to go ahead and make your money back. This is not gonna come anywhere close to that. It's probably gonna lose a hundred million dollars at least, and it deserves it. Now, I really thought going in with the low expectations because of how everybody was reacting to this film would help, it would make it easier to digest cats, but it just won't. Like, it it doesn't win you over in any way. There's very, not a lot of things that redeem this movie. It is definitely one of the worst of the year. Um, I'll figure out how to do that list, but cats will be on it for sure. Um, it, man. It's really dumbfounding how it got to this point. Cause at some, like I worked in Hollywood and there are smart folks in Hollywood, despite what some people think. There are smart people in Hollywood and Tom Hooper is a smart director and he's directed some well competent made films. And you can see that there were some intentions to do some good things here. I just don't understand. Did, did anybody watch the movie? Like did they, did they watch dailies? Like when this movie was being produced? Like, it's, it sucks because it's not that there's not strong production design or dance and vocal performance. Like, there is. There's that, right? But it's just, it's all not working. Like, even the production design. Okay, let's make this world that complete nonsense, right? And, and, and honestly, the story itself is nonsense. This, from the jump, should not have translated well from stage to screen. Like there's just some stories that don't, unless you completely try to deviate and massage it. For, like there are certain stories that have to be told in a different way when you're coming to the big screen. 
And that's what they should have done. I don't know what that would would have looked like, but that's at the very least what they should have done. But they just kept the stage show pretty much intact and just tried to see what it would look like if we would paint the picture on the cinema. And the whole CGI thing, it is, man, it's it's bad. It it really, really is bad. It's weird because it feels uncomfortable. Like you don't understand what you're looking at because it's it's not supposed to look like that. Um, It's just a big miscalculation. and it's not fun. Like no part of the film is fun or enjoyable. Like it's like one of those things though, like you, it's like the sun. Like you want to look away and you should, because if you look too hard, it hurts. And if you look hard enough at like what you're seeing on screen, you're just like, how is this happening? Rebel Wilson, why? It's, man, ah, it's it's not a good movie. And what sucks is that when you tell people that, you're like, oh, now I wanna watch it even more. No. This is not even a hate watch. Like there's nothing to redeem from watching this film. So please do yourself a favor. Don't watch Cats. Cats gets a three out of 10 on the Kobe Tony scale. That hurts. But yo, that rounds out your top 10 for the box office. Seven reviews. Hope you guys took it all in. I'll have everything posted. I mean, everything's posted up right now, but um, yeah, go ahead and tell your friends about it. Opening up this weekend, wide finally is 1917. It's a World War One film about two British soldiers who pretty much they have impossible orders to go across enemy lines and deliver a message that could potentially save 1,600 lives. I got a chance to see it night before last and it really is impeccable. Um, I won't call it a masterpiece. If you want to check out my mini review, it is up right now on all the socials. It's a great film. I do not think it's the perfection that people are calling it. I'll work on a full written review, hopefully within the next couple days and get that to you in pod form very soon. You also got Just Mercy opening up. I'm gonna be able to check that out Monday night. It's about a Harvard grad, Brian Stevenson. He heads up to Alabama to defend those who have been wrongfully condemned. And essentially it's, um, he works on his case. is trying to get somebody out of, uh, you know, from death row. Um, it's got, you know, uh, Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx. Uh, it's got Brie Larson. I'm really excited to be able to watch that. Like a boss. I was excited to watch it, and when I did, I really regretted it. It's got Selma Hayek, Tiffany Haddish, and Rose Byrne. It's a friendship buddy comedy that is not good. Um, I would recommend that you guys don't waste your money on it because it does nothing special. You can check out the full, re- the full, uh, mi- the mini review, the full mini review. Look at that. You can check out the mini review that's out right now on all the socials and underwater. That's got Vincent Casal. It's got a. Uh, oh my God! What from Twilight? Goodness gracious! Yeah, it's got her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued to see it. I like creature features. I'm a big sci-fi guy, so I want to see if there's something to be redeemed from it. I haven't heard great things about it. It is being released in January. Um, it's tough, but there's a lot of stuff to be able to see this weekend. There's a lot of stuff to be able to sit back and watch at home, and I'm going to try my best to try to get to a little bit of everything. But yo, um, yeah, that, that's that's what you got coming out this weekend. Um, I will get around to the Stream Team Podcast very soon. It was probably, it was probably a little bit of... Um, wasn't the smartest idea to try to do that at the holiday season if you were to get that out. If you're unfamiliar with the Stream Team Podcast, it's pretty much the sports center for streaming. I'll be a lead anchor with a lot of on-air guests and pretty much it will be like what to stream and what to not on all the streaming platforms. And that will be coming soon. Um, 
Not sure when, but it will be coming soon. You can go ahead and give that podcast a follow right now at the Stream Team Six on Twitter. You can visit my website for more of my written content at kobetomi.com. You can listen to me co-hosting with the crew at the Minority Support Film Podcast. You can follow all of our crazy commentary at Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. Thank you for rocking with your boy in 2020. I'm going to keep it coming, keep it consistent. Once again, I'm going to go ahead and throw up a Golden Globes reaction to the winners. I'm going to go ahead and throw up a reaction to the Oscars predictions on the next KTM episode. And remember, when they ask you where you heard it from, tell them Kobe told me. <laughs>